Yeah, I'd like to invite all the children to, to come up this morning. I've, I want to. They always run out of here so fast. I never get to see them. So come up here, kids. I, I'm I'm a big kid myself. I'm I'm not a an adult by any means. So, you guys, sit. Come down here and just kind of. You can you can sit up here on the stand if you want, or right there. There you go. Holy cow! Look at all the kids. Everybody take a good look here. Well, guys, I, do you know who I am? My name's John, that's right. And do you know what I do for a living? That's right, I'm a, te- I'm a teacher, very good. You like your teachers? Some of them. <laughs> Some of them. Well, I want to tell you a little story this morning. Um, there once was a man sent from God, a man by the name of Jesus. You ever heard of Jesus? Yeah. Who is Jesus? He's our Father. Yeah, he was sent by our Father, the Son of God. Very good, Cody, very good. Why did he come here? Why did, why did God send him? He wanted to help people. He wanted to help people? Of course he did. He helped me. He's helped me an awful lot. All right. Well, Jesus, when he came, he was often, uh, he spent a lot of time teaching too. Okay, he was a kind of a teacher too. And he told the story this one time. He said, uh, you know, there were two men, two guys, and uh, their father said, Son, he said to the first kid, I want you to go out to my vineyard and I want you to go work out there. Can you go out there and do that for me? And the kid said, no, I'm not going out there. It's hot out there. I'll get all sticky and sweaty, and I'm not going out there. And he walked away. But later, he thought better of it and decided, well, my dad asked me to do it, so I guess I better go do it. And he went and worked in the, in the, the vineyard. That's a bunch of grapes. That's where they, they grow grapes and stuff. The second son, he said, hey, will you go out and work in my vineyard? Will you go out and do some work for me? And the kid said, sure, of course I'll do that. I mean, you're my dad. You tell me what to do, I'll do it. But he snuck off. He never went to the vineyard. He never went to work. Now, which kid did the will of his father? The first one or the second one? The first one, why? What did he do? He changed his mind and he went to the vineyard and he did what his father asked him to do. We're like that too sometimes. You know, God asks us to do things sometimes. He asks all these big people out here, your moms and your dads and your grandparents, and he asks things of them. Sometimes they say, I'm not going to do that. But later, they think better of it and decide, well, you know, I probably ought to do that. And then sometimes big people like me, we tell God, you know I'm going to do that, God. And then we don't do it when we really should. So what's important, what you say or what you, what you, tell, what you tell God or what you do for God? That's right, what you do for God. It's important that you do what the Father asks. Not just say it, but go ahead and do it. 
Okay. I want to show you guys a little video real quick. And uh, this is a video of all the kids. And I want you guys to turn around here. Sit down here on the floor. Look up here at the screen. I, I brought my big kid up here to help me out a little bit. And when you see a kid, if you see somebody you recognize, shout them out. Say, look at you. There you are. That, that. There be big kids out there, too, sometimes. So go ahead and let's see if we can get this thing rolling here. Hopefully it'll have some sound with it. Let's see what we got here. We'll keep our fingers crossed. Oh, there we go. Who are those kids? Yes. It's Cameron. He's in high school. He's a real big kid. Oh, boy. And Baker kids. That, do you know who that is? That, burners, that's right. There they are again. Sorry, parents, I lurked on some of your Facebook pages to find pictures here. So, Yeah, that was not a very good night for my school. Uh, they look like they're having a good time. Oh, boy. Look at those shoes. That kid's a pretty tough football player. He, he single-handedly beat up my eighth graders. There's Danny. Oh, boy. Hey, there's Chappie. 66 is Chappie back there. He didn't look too happy. She always has the best little animals. Look at the minion. Who's that kid? You know Trevor? He's probably back there somewhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's Celeste. Wow. Oh. There's Jesse again. Did you know Jesse's a queen? Or not queen, but she's royalty. Oh my. There's Kaylin. He's in that dancing band. Oh. She's a tree hugger, that's right. There's Chloe. She loves that softball. Uh-oh. That's Ollie. There's Savannah. She's going out. There's Tori. 62, that's Trey Pence. Trey got pretty big, didn't he? He's a big, tough kid. Wow. There's the Williams. Hey, all right. How about that? You hear all those people clapping for you? That's because they love you and they care about you. You know that? When they're not, yeah, no, I won't go into that. Hey, guys, thank you. Let's have a little prayer together. Bow our heads.
Father in heaven, thank you for this day, for letting us all be here to have fun together, worshiping you. Help us to learn about Jesus and to be kind to one another. Amen. Okay, you guys can go to junior church. There's more fun down there, I think. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, guys. The big kids are like, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's good to celebrate our kids from time to time and to think about them and to, to love on them a little bit. Um, it's an interesting uh, generation of kids growing up, uh, much different than, of course, every generation is different than the one before, and so many of you were, were baby boomers, and then we have... Generation X kids, Millennials, and Generation Y, and now this new generation's coming on to the scene, and they're different than other, other groups of kids, different, uh, different generation of children, in a couple of different ways. Uh, in our slides today, I want to show you a couple of different things. Uh, we'll move forward. Um, you know, who are these kids? Some people call them Generation Z. Some people call them the I generation. They're, they're, to us, they're just our kids. All right? But they're different than, than kids in other times. One of the big things is that all of these kids in this generation were born after 9-11, which was the most defining event in, uh, in recent history. You have to go back... You know, here I go, my history teacher thing. You got to really go back, you know, maybe Pearl Harbor, maybe some other definitive moments that you could always say, well, life before that was a little different than life after that. And for most of us adults, we can remember what life was like before 9 11. We felt safe. We felt uh, somewhat economically, I don't want to say completely prosperous, but we didn't worry too much about you know, economics and stuff of that nature. I mean, the millennials, they were raised in the boom times of the 1990s. Moment of great economic prosperity, a time of peace, a prolonged peace. Kids grew up in that. And so their view of the world is a little bit different than this current generation of kids. Every kid that came up here this morning would be part of this new I generation. Generation Z. These kids are post 9-11. They've come into the world, I think, with their eyes wide open from the beginning. They have never known a, a war, a, a country. They've never known a time in their life when their country was not at war. They have never known a time in their life when there was not a fear of terrorism. When I sat in high school, we used to tell silly jokes about, oh, nuclear war, we're going to get nuked by the Russians, and there's going to be a, you know, and we... Kids today don't talk about nuclear war. They talk about terrorists, they talk about school shooters, they talk about you know, things of that nature. These are things that are totally different from other generations. They're coming in into the aftermath of 9-11. Another thing that really defines them, if we go back a slide. Keep going. Yeah, keep going. One more. There you go. The Great Recession of 2007. 
You're like, Great Recession? That doesn't sound very important. I mean, just kind of an economic thing. We, we kind of race past it. Well, if you think back to 2007, uh, there was the beginnings of a, uh, uh, the housing bubble. Over $8 trillion dollars. Uh, you know, in loss from, from the housing bubble. I mean, the, the loss of, of value, the resulting loss of this wealth led to sharp cutbacks in consumer spending. That led to the most dramatic employment contraction of any recession since the Great Depression. I was lucky. I, I did not, you know, at, at school, I never lost my job. We sure as heck didn't get a raise, though. Uh, and our school district has continued to see reduced funds, reduced funds, reduced funds. We have not passed an operating levy in over 20-some years. And it's not that the people don't want to pay. It's A lot of them, they can't pay. They don't have the money to pay. Um, you know, they love their kids just as much as everybody else, but if you don't have it, you can't, can't give it. So these kids are growing up in a time of a time of war, a time of economic uncertainty. At our school district, we've lost on average about 200 kids out of the high school. We used to have about 700 kids in the building. We're now in the, the mid-500s. Where did they all go? Parents lost jobs. They got up and they left. Our district is now a, a poverty district. A lot of this is, is, you know, residual effect over the last 15, 20 years of, you know, what modern life is like. It blows my mind when I ask kids in class, uh, I'll say, you guys remember 9-11 now? When 9-11 happened, and they look at you like, I don't remember 9-11. I'll say, you've seen pictures in a book. I saw a few movies about it, but I don't remember it. It just, ah, it just blows my mind that they don't. They don't understand that. Simply put, put, they're worried a lot about, about the present. Let me get, I want to read to you a, a brief description of these people, who these kids are, and why they're called the, the I generation. Now, the book I'm, I'm referring from, this was written by a, a person by the name of Jean uh, Twin. She was a, was a PhD author of Generation Me's sociologist interested in this kind of stuff. And she writes this, When I reached 13-year-old Athena, the young girl, around noon on, on a summer day, she sounds as if she just woke up. We chat a little about her favorite songs and TV shows, and I ask her what she likes to do with her friends. Eh, we go to the mall, she says. I said, do your parents drop you off? I asked, remembering my own middle school days in the 80s when I enjoy a few parent-free hours with my friends. No, I, I go, with my, go with my family. We'll go with my mom and brothers and walk a little behind them. Uh, I just have to tell my mom when we're, where we're going. I have to check in every hour, every 30 minutes or so. You know, but, but we'll go to the mall. I, I'll be with these people. Hanging out at the mall with your mom around isn't the only difference in teen social lives these days. Athena and her friends at her middle school in Houston, Texas, communicate using their phones more than they see each other in person. Their favorite medium is Snapchat, a smartphone app that allows users to send pictures that quickly disappear. 
They particularly like Snapchat's filters, which often inserts cartoonish dog noses and ears on people's you know, faces and stuff, and stuff as they snap photos. It's awesome. It's the cutest filter ever, she says. They make sure they keep up their snap streaks, which show how many days in a row they have Snapchatted with each other. Sometimes they screenshot particularly ridiculous pictures of friends so they can keep them. It's, it's good blackmail later. We'll get you, get you back to that. Athena says she spent most of the summer hanging out by herself in a room with her phone. I'd rather be on my phone in my room watching Netflix than spending time with my family. That's what I've been doing most of the summer. I've been on my phone more than I've been with actual people. That's just the way her generation is. She says, we didn't have a choice to know any life without iPads or iPhones. I think we like our phones more than we like actual people. The iGeneration has arrived. All right, so you think about some of these kids, their, their connections with technology. And the, the little girl had a point. I don't remember a lot. You guys tell me about do all this stuff. I don't have any, I don't know any of that stuff. We never did any of that. I understand. Many kids have grown, you know, they've grown up in this time and they're worried about, about the future. If we go ahead here, up back one, what are, they, what are they really like here? There's some things about these kids, when you think about them, if you were to, and think about your own kids, any of these kids up here. Now, of course, these kids are all different developmental ages. We had real little kids, all the way up to high school kids. And, and they're in a lot of different places, of course. But children of that generation, number one, they're not in any hurry. We're finding more and more that their childhood is extending into their adolescence. Many times, uh, you know, when I was a 13, man, I thought I was ready to drive, man. I was, I was heading, you know, we went places and did things. Didn't, you don't see a lot of that anymore. Kids like to spend a lot of time with their parents. Why shouldn't they? We, we raise them in a culture where it's got to be safe. Got to be safe. You got to call me in, in 10 minutes. You gotta, Kayla's got a nap. She travels around the country. I'm on there all the time watching her little dot drive around the country. I know where, at least I know where her phone is 24-7. I don't know. Maybe that's not her, but at least her, I'm watching her phone drive around. Internet, they spend a lot of time on their phones. All right. Take the kid's phone away. I mean, one of the favorite punishments. Ah, well, you need to do this. I'm not going to do it. Okay, hand me that phone. Oh, oh. i run and get that stuff done real quick here. There's a decline in in-person interaction. In person, no more. I was, was worried about my... I was worried about Kayla the other day. I was like, you know, all her friends live far away, and she, I mean, they, they all live out of state. That's got to be pretty lonely. And Neola goes, oh, please. They're constantly talking to each other, constantly texting each other, constantly FaceTiming each other. That means looking at each other on the phone while they, while they talk. They're in constant contact. From my perspective, I, that sounds, you know, I, I'd have thought we'd be lonely, but I didn't grow up with cell phones. I didn't grow up in constant communication with the kids. We old people did youth activities. You know, we did them together that were, 
that were, you know, we did things together. They're insecure. We know there's a, a sharp rise of mental health issues. A lot of kids have tied their self-esteem and their self-worth to their cell phones, to how many likes they get, how many things they get. Kids have their self-esteem shattered when they get the wrong kind of text message. People bully each other with their phones. That happens all the time, and it can be devastating to some kids. Many of us who learn to deal with interactions face-to-face, we got a problem, you know, we'll, we'll work it out, out behind the, the old school, or, or we'll, we'll sit down and talk about it. Kids don't do that. Let's move ahead to the next one. Uh, Irreligious. There's a decline in religion as an influence in their life. As a church, that ought to have implications for us. Um, It's not that they are anti-God. They're not anti-God. But they don't seem to find value in the idea of, of religion. It's a good thing we don't really preach a lot of religion here. We preach relationship with Jesus. So there's, there's a difference there, of course, but... Traditional churches, eh, you can worry about that. Insulated, there's a lot of interest in safety. I mean, you would too if all you knew was, you know, war, terrorism, shooters, Alice drills. Um, I think the worst thing we ever had to do in school was a tornado drill. We'd sit in the hallway and they'd make you sit there with your, you know, head down and worry about... Now when the tornado comes, you're all going to be safe. You know, like, oh yeah, right. <laughs> you know, we'll all be, you know, together off in the next field somewhere. But hey, we'll be together, you know. Now kids, we have drills where we simulate a person with a a weapon in the building. Our kids have to originally it was lock down, be quiet, don't move. Try to get a whole group of kids to sit still that long. I thought, this is going to be a disaster. They're going to sit there, they're going to laugh, they'll snicker, kids will make fart noises. I mean, here we go. Those kids, they'll sit there every time, quiet. Because they know this is a very real possibility. West Liberty, for crying out loud, it happened. They're scared of these, they think of these things. No wonder there's such an interest in safety. We've told them all the time, you can't do that, can't play this, can't play that, you got to do this, got to do that. I'm not saying we need to be reckless with our kids, but... I wish I had this picture. I don't have it on there, doggone it. There's a picture of this kid on a big wheel. You guys know what big wheels are? Some of you older folks would know. This kid flying down the sidewalk, and he's lifting off on this little ramp he built. He's flying like, ah, and his legs are sticking out. And the caption is, it's the 70s. That's how we roll. <laughs> right? Today, everybody be running out there. No, no, stop that kid. You can't do that. No, no, no. Income insecurity, new attitudes about work. Kids aren't dumb. They understand that jobs aren't that stable anymore. You could have a job today, be gone tomorrow. 
Many of them are questioning the idea of people of my generation. What do we do at school? You got to go to college. You got to get your diploma. You know, that's where the money's at. And so many kids today are, what do I got to go to college? What do I got to go to school for four years? How about I just start my own business, or I do this, or I take matters into my own hand? Why don't I just join a trade? You realize we're preparing kids in colleges today. A lot of the programs that we have are preparing kids for jobs that don't exist anymore. So we're encouraging and sending them off to school and telling them, you got to get your, your schooling, and they get out of college, and those jobs just aren't, they're not there. I think the kids kind of intuitively understand that. And it's difficult. Indefinite new attitudes about sex, relationships, the idea of children. More and more, uh, I used to always t- joke around with my classes, you know, someday when you get a wife and kids, ah, and the kids would all laugh and look at each other. More and more in the last few years, I've had high school kids say, well, I'm not having kids. There's no way I'm having kids. I'm like, you're in high school. How can you say that? You don't know what you're good. I ain't having kids. I don't have time for that. I got things I want to do, and I mean, this world is nuts as it is. I don't, I don't want any kids. Almost as if it would be irresponsible to bring children into the world. Let's move ahead to the next slide. Inclusive. They're very much inclusive. They have a high tolerance for things that previous generations would have found intolerable. Many adolescents, you talk about issues of homosexuality, other issues of morality. If you uh, espouse traditional values, you're seen as a bigot by many of kids. Because they've grown up in a culture in a time where we need to love everybody. We need to include everybody. We don't judge people. We're equal. We have no tolerance for social classes and all these things. You wonder why so many people voted for Bernie Sanders in the last election. Many kids don't see a problem with a lean towards towards socialism. Their personality, their life skills, all of these things have developed in a time of chaos a time of volatility, a world that, simply put, is very complicated, very complex. I've heard a lot of people of my generation and older, ain't no way I'd want to grow up and be a teenager these days. I don't want to be a kid. Holy cow. Well, I, I, it's a whole different world, that's for sure. To cope, they've developed a fierce sense of independence, an entrepreneurial spirit. And I think they do want to take a more active role in their communities and their futures. They're not interested in adults telling them, this is what you're going to do. Because they know what adults have done for them. What have adults of my generation and some of the others done for the kids of today? We racked up massive debt, we've been in wars, we've, we've dealt with all kinds of issues and troubles, and frankly, a lot of kids look at people of my generation and say, thanks a lot, nice world you're handing off to us. Why don't you uh, kind of get out of the way here and, and let us kind of have our turn, let us have a go at it. 
I think that's natural for any generation, but especially with these kids today. I think kids, especially kids who, who are in a church, and I'm going to speak primarily from here on out to, to the, the kids here and to their parents. I think kids want to serve, but I think they want to do it, they want to take the lead on that, the, take the initiative on that. A while back, there was an interesting uh, thing somebody did. It was a random act of kindness. The kids just up and went and did something nice for somebody. I think they were handing out flowers or something. And you do. That was that, that's that generation. They want to do something. They want to be involved, but kind of on their terms. Every generation wants to go out and, I think, save the world. That's not new. But I think the kids today have a legitimate need because they look at their situation, they look at the world that they're growing up in, and you are a little bit nervous, and you want to do something to take a more active role in you know, shaping the future. They want to make a difference. Our kids need to be involved in mission, they need to be involved in service opportunities, they want to do that. They want to make a difference. When I was a kid, all the activities that we did with the youth were uh, mostly uh, hanging out in the basement down there. We'd eat popcorn, watch a movie, play some games, which was fantastic. We'd go over to Pat Looney's house and make pizzas, and we'd play ping pong. It was fantastic. But we lived in a world where there wasn't anything to worry about. We didn't have school shooters. We didn't have uh, terrorism. We didn't have to worry about going off to war or seeing our friends go to war. We could be entertained. We could build fellowship in a nice, safe environment. Now, of course, all of us in our own families, we do what we can to provide a safe environment. But we can't be with them 24-7. They go out into that world, and they want to make more of an active difference. That's my opinion. You can disagree all you want. Okay, Kids want to go out. They want to be challenged. They want to serve. Let's move ahead. I've got a few Bible verses that... Uh, let's move on to the next one here. Oh, well, let's look at this here real quick. Implications for the church. So what do we do as a church? All these kids that were here today, what do we do for them? as a church body moving forward. Kyle will be coming eventually. He's, he's a kid. He's barely... You might even throw him in the I generation, which I think was, a, you know, just personally, the, the fact that we got a young pastor who's of that generation that's going to pay off down the road. If we'd have got somebody 50-ish like me, what do I know about... Snapchat. <laughs> I got to ask my kids, help me with Snapchat. And the kids are like, cool, good, dad, you're so dumb. You put this in there. I'm just like, duh, I don't know what's going on. Where'd the picture go? I had a picture there. We went to Chicago and took a gazillion pictures and sent them off to the kids. We'd enjoy them later. We had no idea that on Snapchat they disappear. We go home and there's like 100 pictures gone. I'm like, oh, great. Kids are looking at us like, you people are pitiful. I can't believe that. 
Well, gang, uh, to our youth that's here, some of you, you know, you're in that time where we almost can't call you youth anymore. Some of you are adults. The book of Ecclesiastes, I want to give you some verses to think about today. And uh, if you'd write them down, that'd be great. On the side of a you know, the bulletin or something, maybe look these up later. If we move ahead, you know, the Bible does have a lot to say about kids and about the youth. This is information that's good for any kid of any generation of all time. It was good enough for kids 2,000 years ago. It's good for kids 2,000 years in the future if we have to wait that long. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, there's a, a, a paragraph or so here written by a very wise man, a lot smarter than I am. And he writes, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. That's right now, you, know, you kids. You ought to be thinking about God a little bit. Before the evil days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no delight in him. Trust me, as an adult, there are days where <laughs> eh, life isn't all that great, guys. We're running here, we're running there, we're doing all these things. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain, in the day that the watchmen of the house tremble and mighty men stoop, the grinding ones stand idle because they are few, and those who look through windows grow dim. There's a day coming, gang, you're going to get older. I didn't say old, older, okay? Now's the time. Now is the time. If you want to serve God, now's the time to serve God, not... I'll do it after college. I'll do it when I get my own family, when I get my own house. No, Solomon is telling us here, the time is now, because life has a way of, of working itself in there and interrupting our little schedules and, and what we think. The time is to serve God. The time to remember your Creator is right now. Another verse is in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. God has plans for you. What are those plans? In psychology, a man by the name of Eric Erickson often talked about kids in the, at adolescence. We're talking high school kids. One of the most important questions that they will ask themselves is, Who am I? Who am I? What am I about? What do I do? What am I supposed to do with my life? What makes me tick? What do I like? What do I not like? So many of them go into adulthood with no idea of no plan, no future. But as Christians, as young Christians, understand that God wants to give you a future and a hope. God himself has plans for you, plans for your welfare, not for calamity. God wants the best for you. And now is the time to start to explore that, to try to find that, to understand what it is that God would have you to do. First Timothy, it goes on. I can find my T's here. Oh, here we go. Timothy 4.12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, con conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. 
Don't let people look down on you because you're a kid. What do you know, kid? I had nothing to do with this. I had nothing at all with the pastoral search. Nothing. But Kayla got to be involved in the group. Somebody asked her to come and be a part of the group. And to my knowledge, she was treated equally with everybody else. Her opinions carried as much weight as somebody else. No one looked down on her for her youthfulness because she conducted herself with love and faith and purity, being an example for the others. What situations do you find yourself in where you are called to be an example for others? Psalm 119.9. What happens when I get a different Bible? i got too many Bibles at home. Every week I'll grab a different one, and he's trying to find stuff, and you're like, whoops, that's not in the right place. Psalm 119.9. Another example, some of the previous generations, you guys have a lot of these memorized. The iGen, who cares? We just look it up real quick. There you go. I beat you. I'm faster than you. Look it right up. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young woman keep her way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart, I have sought you. Don't let me wander from your commandments, your word I have treasured in my heart that I, my, that I may not sin against you. The kids know it's a tricky place, it's a tricky world we live in. How in the world am I supposed to keep myself pure? How am I supposed to do the right thing? By keeping it according to the word of God. Let me show you some examples of some kids who made a difference in the Bible. The story, go back one, the, the, the story of Joseph. The book of Genesis. Joseph, the son of Jacob, was made overseer in the house of the captain of the guard in Egypt when he was about 17. Ruth was a young widow when she chose to dwell with her mother-in-law to be a blessing. She was just a little girl, young girl. David. David was only a boy when he killed a giant. He was just a kid. He, like a little kid, who's this giant out here? Oh, you guys are a bunch of wimps. Watch this. Pow! Down he went. Little kid. A guy by the name of Jehoash. How many of you remember Jehoash? I don't know how many remember that guy. He was seven. Seven years old when he became king of Judah. How old's Roman? I know his, his folks aren't here, but about 10. Let's make Roman king of the... the, 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 the. There you go. Josiah was eight years old when he became king in Jerusalem. You find that in 2 Chronicles. These are little kids. These little guys. You're the, you're the king of the whole country. Mary of Nazareth. The mother of Jesus was a young woman when she conceived the Savior. In the movie, she's always, oh, she's about, what, 18, 19, 20 years old. She's probably more like 13. She's just a kid. Timothy. 
was a young man, sort of mentored by Paul. Timothy was a young guy. He trained with Paul. All of these people were young people with great responsibilities. They understood that God said, I have a future for you. I have a hope for you. What can we do as a church? I know we're running long here, but... First of all, bless the youth workers. Those of you who give your time and your money and your efforts to bless the children of this church. God bless you. Nobody's perfect. But we do the best we can with with what we have because we love our kids. And God bless you for that. I mean, some of you are probably like, you, you know... You know, somebody probably walked up to you one day and said, you know, I'm watching the nursery. Can you watch them for a few minutes? And that was 20 years ago. They never came back. And so you're just, you're stuck there now, you know, with the kids. And, but bless the youth workers. And we need more of them. I wish we had enough resources and time where we had somebody who could de- devote their time to the youth. A youth pastor would be fantastic. There are youth pastors in the community where I live. They'll come to school. Sometimes they'll sit in the cafeteria and have lunch with the kids. Not all schools are anti-God. Many youth workers are are very actively involved. What else can we do? We can give them ministry opportunities. Kids want to serve. They want to take an active role in their service. They don't want to be told, you're going to do this. You're going to do that, and that's it, and, and oh, good job serving. No, that's being bossed around, told what to do. Ask them, what do you want to do? What do you want to do to serve? There's a lot of opportunities out there. This Christmas box thing is a fantastic idea to get kids an opportunity to serve. You want to serve God, young people? Get yourself a box and fill it up. Bring it to church. You have just served the kingdom of God. Jesus often told a story about, uh, you know, it's important that you be faithful in the little things. Then you'll be entrusted with the big things. It's taken me a lifetime to understand that. The most blessed person in a church isn't the pastor, it's not the elders, It's the person standing out in the foyer holding the door open for somebody. Let me be faithful in the little things. Let us, kids, be faithful in the little things. And then God will give you opportunity for the big things. We want to do missions. We want to get involved. Those are fantastic. But there are missions right here inside the church. Don't forget local ways to serve this church. I get being young. We want to save the world. That's, that's what I was dead when I got out of school. I was going to be a computer programmer, man. We're going to, we're going to write software that's going to revolutionize the world. And, and then I got into coaching. And, man, I'm just going to save all the kids. And you know, we're going to... I had all these things that I wanted to do. But I learned you, know, you got to start small. Be faithful in the, the little things. Visit a shut-in. Do some church work. Run errands. And I know some of you already do those things. 
God sees that. And he will bless you for that. It makes him happy. Be faithful in the small things. God will give you the big things later. Pray for them. I always loved this picture. I used to work at Logos Bookstore, an old Christian bookstore. And they'd always have Christian artwork in there and stuff you could buy. And I always liked this because every time I would look at it, you know, I would see that guy, he's there praying with his, for his little boy. And you can't really tell so well in the painting, but up in the window, there's an angel standing there in front of the window, and he's fighting with somebody. He's grappling. There's a war for the hearts and the minds of our kids. You all know that. You see that, turn on the TV, you see it all the time. The music that they listen to, the movies that they see, even uh, things like uh, Halloween now. I mean, growing up, Halloween was a mask. You'd run around, scare people, and it was kind of fun. And I realize there are some Christians have a whole problem, a fundamental issue with the whole idea of Halloween. But we live in a world where people kill each other, and we see it broadcast on YouTube, live, in person. And we go to haunted houses and haunted trails and this and that, and it's who can be the grossest, who can be the most profane, who can be the most shocking. We need to pray for our kids. We need to pray for them. They do not live in the world that you grew up in. Their whole concept of what the world is is radically different than what we grew up with. You can bet the enemy is making moves. We need to do likewise. Pray for your kids. Pray for people. Pray as a church so that we can love them and celebrate them. Okay, I think that might be. Is that it, Jim? I don't remember. Yep, that's it. End of the show. Dun, 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 dun. You know, so everybody... That's a lot of stuff I've just thrown at you, but I want to talk about kids for the next few weeks. I want to look at a little bit closer at some of these things. Feel free to contact me if you have any questions, if you want to disagree. My kid ain't like that. Well, yes, I know. Not all kids are the same. You know, we have differences. But I, you know, I really want to encourage all of you to really take some time to love your kids, encourage your kids and try to, for a moment, understand that the world that they live in is so different than the world that, that we had. And when we start to understand that, we can start to understand their needs, their motivations, their desires, the things that they want to do. That's, this here was the future of the church, not us. Someday these kids are going to pick up the reins, and they're going to go with it. Are we going to prepare them for that? My prayer is that we will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our kids. We love our children. We know that you've given them a future and a hope. And it's our desire, God, that you would bless them. You would reveal that future to them. Help us to understand the world that we live in and understand their need to serve, their need to shape the world that they are so desperate to become a part of. 
Help us to prepare them for that. They are the ones who have to go out into the world and make, make Christians, to make followers of Christ. Help us to equip them and to be wise enough to figure out how to do that. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.